cancer, lupus, diabetes, arthritis, burning mouth syndrome, blindness, Meniere's disease, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's. These are just a few of the health conditions that some of my friends suffer with daily. The list goes on, unemployment, underemployment, bankruptcy, foreclosure, a marriage falling apart, a stranger from a child or a parent, a sick child, the unknown of the future. You may identify with one or many of the, these that I listed, or there might be something else in your life that you're struggling with. There is a trial in your life that seems overbearing. These are all considered trials, tribulations, hardships. I got news, there's nothing joyful about any of these trials. There's nothing joyful in any hardship. These situations more, more often cause stress, anxiety, and depression. Realistically, we, would, we wouldn't wish these things on our worst enemies. So why does James tell us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of all kinds? How can we consider any hardship joyful? You can't. James doesn't tell us that these events are joyful occurrences. He tells us that encountering these trials is a joyful event. Some say this is a distinction without a difference, but it's not. Ask any mother, I think of you and Antoinette right now, who's gone through childbirth. I was in six of deliveries of my children. It was not a joyful event for my wife. She wasn't singing show tunes, singing songs of praise, whistling a happy tune. She was praying. Boy, was she praying in ways I've never heard her pray before. The act of childbirth is not a joyful event, but the outcome, when the mom holds that baby in her arms, in her hands for the first time, there is the joy. The event was not the joyful occurrence. The result of the, of the event is what brings joy. There's a lot of feedback here. Is it me? God will bring difficult times into our lives in order to strengthen us, to transform us. James mentions all kinds of trials. I, I personally tend to break the trials into three kinds. There's a result of our own sin. We know what our sin is. We know there's consequences to our sin. It could cause a hardship, not just to us, but to our loved ones. Then there's Oh, okay. It, it, it is me. Then there's a hardship brought out by someone else's sin. You know, someone runs a red light, hits your car, you end up with all sorts of medical issues for years. The CEO of your company embezzles funds, you're out of work. It's someone's sin. But then I think of what I call the Job effect, where Satan goes to God and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's Job living a righteous life, as righteous as could be, and bam, out of nowhere, he loses everything. Children, possessions, everything is gone. No fault of his own. It's just God is bringing a trial upon Job to test his faith. Another thing that we can't do, excuse me, there are multiple, um, excuse me, I just lost my place. Yeah, there are multiple causes for tribulations, but I want to be clear that 
any trial you face is not, it is not a punishment from God. There are people that will tell you that the reason you're going through a difficult time is because God is punishing you for some unrelated sin. Your trial may be a consequence to your sin, but not a punishment. You may get lung cancer because you've been smoking five packs of cigarettes a day since you were in fourth grade. That's a consequence. It's not a punishment. Here's an example we read in Scripture. In John 9, 1 through 3, we read, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born blind so that God would be glorified. The disciples thought there must be some underlying sin to cause blindness, but Jesus set them straight. Too often we as people look to blame someone else for bad things happening. But we live in a fallen world where bad things are bound to happen. So instead of looking to blame, we as believers must look and ask, how can we glorify God through this situation? Another thing we can't do is ignore the pain. We all face real pain in our lives. Physical, emotional, psychological. It's okay to cry out to God in distress, to be angry, to be hurt. When you read the Psalms, one often repeated phrase is, How long? How long, God? David was pursued by Saul unjustly for years. He treated Saul with nothing but respect, but Saul kept David on the run. God used the sin of Saul and this time to strengthen the character and resolve of David. Don't think that crying out to God and asking why is a sin. It's natural. Why not ask God? After all, he is the only one who has the answer. And also it's okay to feel depressed at times. We can't be happy when we're going through a trial. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 16. Paul's writing to Timothy at the end of his ministry. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for the ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed your message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Paul sounds very lonely. Depressed. A little despondent. He knows he's near the end of his life. He's in prison waiting to be exonerated or executed. But he's pretty sure that death is the most likely outcome. Too often we don't want to share our pain with others. Especially we New Englanders. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We don't want to be seen as unfaithful complainers. But there is a time to let people know that you are hurting. Paul wasn't afraid to let Timothy know. He also asked Timothy for help. That is what we are here for. We're here to help one another, carry one another's burdens. We're to help one another when help is needed. But let's look at the end of Paul's letter. He doesn't stay in his depression and his despair. He ends, 
But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There was no change in Paul's situation from one verse to the next. The change was his focus. Instead of looking at himself, he turned his gaze outwards and remembered what God had done in the past. And that God is worthy of praise regardless of our circumstance. Paul did not find joy in the circumstance. He was able to face the circumstances because he knows who God is. He saw God deliver him through the past. In Corinthians, he has a litany of, I was stoned multiple times. I was shipwrecked multiple times. I was in danger from my enemies, in danger from my friends. From, he, had a list. he saw God deliver him multiple times. But he still faced this struggle and had emotional turmoil. But when he remembered who God was, because he saw God work. So he knows God is worthy of our praise in all times and all places. Jesus himself saw joy and hardship. In Hebrews 12, 2, we read, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did not see the cross as a joyful experience, but he saw what lay on the other side of the cross. He knew that enduring the cross would mean a restored fellowship with mankind. The cross brought agony. In the garden, he sweat blood in anticipation of the upcoming crucifixion. But he also saw beyond, beyond the trial, beyond the crucifixion, he saw the joyful outcome. If we focus on our hardships, we can feel despondent, hopeless, lost, afraid, there's great angst and sadness in a lot of our trials. But God has a great plan for us. He will bring us through to a glorious end. We may not see it on this side of eternity, but that's okay. As Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. James says that our trials will produce steadfastness. Other translations use the word patience. We learn more and more patience with each trial that we face. If you see, see someone going through a difficult time that you can't imagine and they seem at peace about it, it's probably because they've seen God bring them through other trials in the past. And through those previous trials, they've seen God's faithfulness. They don't know how this current trial will, will play out, but they know God and they've seen his faithfulness in the past. They aren't any more or less righteous than you. They have just had a more intimate experience with God than you have had at this point. I can also tell you that most of these saints probably spend a lot of time, or are spending a lot of time, crying out, How long, Lord? How long? Patience is a developed character. You become more patient by trusting God more. There's no quick way to learn patience. It's like any other discipline. Whether it's an athletic skill or learning to play a musical instrument, you don't just try it once and master it. We learn patience like a child learns to walk. There's a lot of holding on to the edge of the sofas or to mom and dad's hand, a lot of standing still and falling down. Then all of a sudden, the child takes its first step. Paul addresses trials and suffering a little bit differently. In Romans 5, 3-5, he says, Not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul points out the process from suffering to endurance to character to hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Sufferings in and of themselves do not produce hope. There is a growth process that we must go through to get to hope. Hope is faith in the future. The word hope is often misused today. When I was in fifth grade, 50 years ago actually, I hoped that I'd get the Rock'em Sock'em Robots for Christmas. I didn't. I still haven't. That wasn't really a hope. That was a wish, a desire. But those don't always happen. Hope in Christ never fails. Hope is a solid faith in what Christ has done in the past and will prove itself in the future. Our hope is only as true as what we have seen Christ accomplish. If you, if you have never seen Christ work through your trials in the past, you'll not have hope that he will work through them now or in the future. But as you see him work in today's trial, you have today's experience to look back on in the past. I'll tell you right now that just because you've seen Christ's work in your life, it does not mean that each new trial will be a breeze. On the contrary, because he has proved himself faithful in the past, he will increase the trials in the future. Like the bodybuilder in the gym, you see him working out with 200-pound weights. He didn't start there. He started with the lesser weight, and over time, he built up the strength and the endurance. Christ will strengthen you and stretch you each step of the way. You'll not always be happy about it, but that's okay. As C.S. Lewis once said, which of the religions gives, us, gives its followers the greatest happiness? While at last, the religion of worshiping, worshiping oneself is the best. As you perhaps know, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port, or in my case, a bowl of ice cream, would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Christ does not want us to be complacent. He is always challenging us, stretching us, maturing us. He's transforming us into something better. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. But what's the purpose, the end result of these struggles? James says, let, and, let us steadfast, let us, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. This must take, take time. Through our trials, God is working in us. He is perfecting us even though we stand fully justified before God because of the work of Christ on the, on the cross, we still must undergo the process of sanctification. This is a process that makes us holy. We are justified, declared righteous, not by efforts, but by, by the work of Christ. Romans 3.24 brings us home. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We can do nothing to contribute to our justification. It's a gift. And as we give and receive gifts every year to each other, they're given, not earned. 
They're given freely. You can earn a wage, and Scripture says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of Christ Christ is eternal life. But we are justified. But doesn't being justified make us holy? Yes and no. We're justified. We've declared not guilty, but there's a process to make us holy. And that is the process of sanctification, and that's where trials come in. The trials are used to sanctify us, to clean, to clean us. To paraphrase R.C. Sproul, who once said, if God were to reveal to me all my sin at once, I would be undone. We cannot comp- begin to comprehend how sinful or how weak we really are. So God, in his ultimate wisdom, chooses to reveal, reveal that to us slowly. As we shed our sin and tear our love for this world away, it's a painful process. It can't be done all at once. The transformation is not pain-free. We are forced to give up so much of what we are clinging to. This is what Paul says we're clinging to. Now, the works of flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the things that we naturally fight to keep in our lives. But Christ, who is transforming power, strips these away slowly. And through this process, God lovingly, patiently refines us. He makes us more like him. It's said that when a goldsmith takes a lump of gold with all of its impurities, he begins the process of heating it slowly and burning the dross away. And you ask a goldsmith, how can you tell when the gold is pure? He'll say, when I can see my reflection in the gold. And that's what Christ is doing in us. He wants to see his reflection in us. I don't know why God does chooses particular trials for any of us. We all face trials in a, unique, in a unique way. In fact, I'm going through one right now. About two months ago, mid-morning, I got, had, but I had water in my ear. had no idea how it got there. I'd take my shower a couple hours earlier. By the end of the day, I lost all the hearing in my right ear. And then with a ringing, non-stop ringing, and that non-stop feeling of water in my ear. It's there to this day. I cannot find my saxophone. It causes headaches. As our worship team is singing, I have to put an earplug in my ear because the distortion sound causes pain. There's no known cause, no known cure. I've had three injections in my ear. There's been no change. I don't know why God is doing it. I'm not happy about it. I've actually shed, shed some tears about it. I, I've been playing saxophone since I was fourth grade. I have a music degree, spent time in the army band. Something I love. But God has said, not now. I told Tracy, when I preach, I'm going to be preaching to myself. So basically, you're eavesdropping on my conversation to myself, trying to remind me to glorify God and be patient with him as he's being patient with me. As we read through the scriptures, we see all sorts of men and women who are able to maintain their faith in God and keep a spirit of praise in their hearts. One of my favorite passages is Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fails, and the, yields, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will make joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This prophet was saying in the face of a severe famine, he would still praise and rejoice and find joy in God, for God is his strength. Many of us, including myself, would have, have a hard time keeping this perspective. I, I would like to think, I'd like to think that I would, but there's all sorts of things that I think that I would do until the rubber hits the road. As we encounter trials, remember that God is sovereign. R.C. Sproul says, Romans 8.28 is one of the most comforting texts in all of Scripture. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It assures us, the believer, that all tragedies are ultimately blessings. It does not declare that all things that happen are good in themselves, but that in all the, in, in all the things that happen to us, God is working in, in them and through them for our good. This is also firmly grounded on his eternal promise for his people. But do not lose heart. As we face trials of, of various kinds, let us remember the promise of Paul so beautifully penned in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you We thank you that you are worthy to be praised at all times, in all ways, for all things. We thank you for your sovereign love over us. We thank you that the trials you bring us through have a goal. A goal to perfect us, to make us more like you. Father God, we thank you that your love will never fail us. That you cannot love us more and you will not love us less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.